Hello. I'm going to read them off. <laughs> okay. So um, the first reading is from Psalm 133. This, all of it. Um, yeah. Okay. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. And then it's Galatians, sorry, I printed out because I have dyslexia, um, It's Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. Give you a sec. Um, But when the set time has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Evening, everyone. Fantastic to be here this evening. Um, My mouth is already watering for dinner. Hey, I'm going to pray. If you're not used to praying, that's totally cool. Just um, have a listen in. But I'd like to pray and ask uh, for God's help as we look at um, this big issue together. So let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we we recognise these are huge issues. Um, Please help me to speak with real clarity and truthfulness. And please help us to hear clearly and to think deeply and to be really helped to understand Jesus better. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've seen the topic. What do you reckon? Does Jesus bring unity or does Jesus bring division? When you think of Jesus, do you think of him as the peacemaker or do you think of him as the troublemaker? Maybe you think peacemaker. He was called the Prince of Peace, wasn't he? Or maybe you think, no, 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 troublemaker. He was put to death. He must have been stirring the pot and causing all sorts of trouble and divisions. Now, I think for all of us, we care about this topic because we care very, very greatly about unity. We love it when there's unity and we hate it when there's divisions, when there's breakdowns. Now, you think about your family Christmas gathering this year. Did you enjoy it or did you endure it? I reckon how much you enjoyed your family Christmas gathering this year was determined largely by how unified your family is. If your family really likes each other and gets along and uh, likes being together, then probably your family Christmas gathering was pretty good. But if your family is divided, certain members don't get along with others, they don't want to be in the same room, there's always conflicts and issues, then your family Christmas gathering was probably pretty unpleasant. You endured it rather than enjoyed it. But that's painful, isn't it? That's painful. When there's division in our families, when there's division in our communities... When there's division in the political system, left against right, right against left, or race against race, or gender versus gender, when there's divisions between countries, we look at what's going on in Ukraine, and and it's painful to us. 
We look at the strained relations between Australia and China. We wish it wasn't so. Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just live in harmony with one another? Well, obviously we can't, can we? You just look at the world and it's abundantly, abundantly clear that we're not living in a world that's filled with love and unity and peace and everyone getting along. We seem to divide and divide. Every distinction, every difference seems to be a division point for us. You've got a group of people and they disagree and so they split apart into two groups. And then that group splits apart into two more and then that group disagrees and and so it goes on. We break into smaller and smaller groupings, dividing and dividing and dividing. The world is obviously filled with divisions. Now, the Bible very helpfully and clearly explains them to say there's something deeply flawed within humanity that means there has always been, there has always been, and there will always be divisions amongst humans. But we love the thought of real and lasting and extensive unity, and we wish there were no divisions. And so Jesus... Does he cause divisions? Does he add to divisions? Or does he bring unity, repairing division and bringing people together? Well, some would say, it's obvious, isn't it? Jesus clearly brings division. Look at Christians. Look at how Christians divide with other religions. We're right, you're wrong. And even within Christianity, look at the divisions in Christianity. All those different denominations and Catholics split from Protestants, Protestants from Catholics... And Christians causing divisions in society by holding to and speaking about outdated and terrible things, particularly on ethical and moral issues, arguments, political divisions, tension. See, Jesus clearly brings division. Now, just at this point, I just want to alert you to something to give a sharpness to our thinking. It's just worth noting the difference between what people have done in the name of Jesus and what Jesus himself has actually caused and wants to happen. See, it's possible to look at every person or every country that calls itself Christian and equate what they do with what Jesus wants. So, a person calls themselves a follower of Jesus, they're standing in a picket line screaming abuse, holding a sign that says, you are going to hell. Now, Jesus hates that sort of behaviour, doesn't condone that sort of behaviour. As we saw last week, Jesus is a man of peace. A man of love who calls Christians to love those who mistreat them, to pray for those who persecute them. It's possible though to look at a country and see it as a Christian country and equate everything that country does, imperialism, slavery, war, with what Jesus wants. But not every country that calls itself Christian, that emerges out of a Christian past, that has broadly Christian values, is filled with Christians or even led by Christians. It's just Christianized. And so Christian countries can do, have done terrible things and brought disunity and divisions. But they're not Jesus. And they're usually not led by followers of Jesus. So it's helpful to nuance our thinking at the start about these things and not simply equate everything done in the name of Jesus with Jesus. People have done, do do, horrendous things in the name of Jesus. People who claim to be followers of Jesus do bring disunity. And Jesus doesn't want this, doesn't... condone this and ultimately will bring justice around this and yet there are Christians who have been totally consistent with Jesus and the things that they say upset others because it's actually the words of Jesus that upset them we'll come to that later so today tonight what we're going to do go straight to the New Testament documents the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and the letters written by his closest followers and see what Jesus has actually caused whether Jesus has caused unity or division. So, 
Has Jesus caused unity or division? Well, my answer is going to be this. He has caused the most profound unity. He has ended the most terrible division. And he's caused a necessary division. Ah, come on. Sounds like you're trying to have it both ways. Unity and division. Yes, yes. There's a, there's a complexity in this topic that means there's a few key pieces that you have to hold together to see it all clearly. He's saying, I'm saying both. Unity ended division and caused a necessary division. We don't want to be simplistic in our thinking, but as a church, we want to follow the truth wherever it leads and we want to be complex in our thinking, deep thinkers, not surface thinkers. So a little bit of complexity tonight, but not confusion. There's clear answers to these things. So, has Jesus caused unity or division? Number one, Jesus caused the most profound unity. In fact, the very reason that Jesus came, God the Son, born into our world as a man, was to reconnect us back to God, unite us to the God who made us. It's an incredible and profound thing that Jesus has come to do, to reconnect us to the God of the universe, togetherness, oneness, belonging, connection to this God. Sometimes in the Bible, it's wonderfully, wonderfully spoken about as being adopted by God. In our church family in the morning, we have a number of families who foster kids and who have adopted kids. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing for a child to be adopted into a family where they're loved, cared for, have parents that deeply love them. That's what Jesus came into the world to bring. Have a look again at the passage that was read for us. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Because God the Son has come into our world, born as a man, it means there is now the possibility that we can be adopted into God's family, verse 5, as God's children. Children who, verse 6, cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is an, an intimate term that a child would use for their parent. We can have an intimate father-daughter father-son relationship with the God of the universe and that means verse 7 that because we are children we're also heirs heirs to an eternal inheritance and so heaven becomes our home Jesus came into the world bringing the profound possibility of unity with God where we're adopted as his children loved by him and heaven becomes our home a unity with God where every day he is for us doing good to us with us intimate connection with him and when you're adopted into God's family as his child, suddenly you find I'm part of a whole family of people who have also been adopted. And so you find you have brothers and sisters as well. Consistently throughout the New Testament, Christians are referred to as the family of God, the family of believers. And Christians are called brothers and sisters, belonging to each other called to love and care for each other. That's what the church is meant to be, togetherness, oneness, belonging, connection with the God of the universe and with each other. This is why Jesus came into the world, to unite all kinds of people to God, to himself, to each other. When I was in year eight, we had a science uh, teacher. Uh, we just called him G.I. Joe. Uh, whenever G.I. Joe was going to explain the next experiment and what we were going to do, he'd always tell us in really explicit detail what not to do because if you do it that way, something really bad is going to go wrong. Now, he's, he's talking to year eight. 
kids, whatever you do, don't connect this wire to this terminal on the AC-DC volt machine. Don't have it set to this setting because if you do it that way, it's all going to go up in a puff of smoke. Ah, I never thought that if I connected the wire like that and flicked the switches like that at all and around the room, or whatever you do, don't drop the magnet into the iron filings. If it goes in the iron filings, it gets covered in the iron filings. I have to spend weeks trying to get the iron filings off the magnet. Ah. And so half the class, the boy half, hands all their magnets back and covered in iron filings. Jesus is like a magnet dropped into iron filings. The iron filings, the jar is the world, the filings are the people. Jesus is the magnet. He comes into the world and there are a whole bunch of people who receive him grab hold of him, see him for who he is and, and get stuck to him, adopted into the family of God. But it's not just one iron filing stuck to the magnet. It, it's a whole bunch of iron filings stuck to the magnet, stuck to each other, connected together with him, together with God, together with each other. And it's people from all sorts of backgrounds. Have a look at this passage from the same book of the Bible. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus, and and faith just means trust. For those who put their trust in Christ Jesus, there is no longer division along lines of ethnicity or race or social standing or socioeconomic status or gender or there is no neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The writer, the Apostle Paul, picks a few of the greatest divisions in the ancient world and he headlines with the, the biggest division. Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew, alienated, divided. There was religious tension between them, Racial tension, cultural tension divided, often hatred, naked open hatred between them. In the ancient literature, Jewish literature, the Jews would often call the Gentiles dogs. Now he's not talking about the fluffy cavoodle sitting on the lounge next to you. He's talking about street dogs, mangy, angry curs. My mum once in Sri Lanka was bitten by a street dog. It was actually quite bad. Um, That's how the Jews referred to the Gentiles. But when a Jew and a Gentile come to trust in Jesus, they become one family. Slave or free. This is not merely talking about the division between upper class and lower class, how profound that division is. No, no, this is talking about the division between owned and not owned. In the ancient world, the Greco-Roman world, sometimes slaves were treated well, quite often they were treated poorly. But whether treated well or poorly, they were always considered property. But now a slave becomes a Christian and a free person becomes a Christian and they sit next to each other in church because now they are brothers and sisters united in Christ Jesus. Jesus has caused there to be profound unity between all types of people. Different backgrounds, different cultures from the different nations of the earth, different skin colours, men, women, slave, free, upper class, lower class, united to God by Jesus. And when we come to God through Jesus, we united together as family. And so all those divisions that usually divide our world, male, female, this culture, that culture, this country, that rich, poor, left, right, it's as if those distinctions, while they still exist, are so secondary to the unity that we have in Christ that we live above them, 
Jesus caused a profound and deep unity. Now, this is what our world wants. This is what our world is seeking. But I think the ways that it's seeking to end the division causes greater division. Jesus is the answer to real and lasting division. Oh, Christians have to work at it. We make a mess of it quite often because Christians, me, you, we're imperfect people. And so we muddle along. But this is what Jesus is building. A church, a family, a people of God under his rule, connected, united to him, with him as our father and connected to each other as brothers and sisters. Profound, beautiful. And it's for all eternity. Revelation 7. Now, it's just worth noting this is um, a style of writing that's symbolic, picture language. So it's trying to picture for us heaven, but it's not literally in heaven you're going to be standing before a throne with white robes and palm branches. It's imagery trying to convey stuff. After I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. They cried out in loud voices, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A symbolic picture of heaven, but notice the key things. There's going to be a multitude in heaven. And the multitude is made up of people from every nation, tribe, people and language. All around the throne where the Lamb, a symbol of Jesus, all around the throne where God and the Lamb are ruling. If you thought that Christianity was a white European thing, it's actually not. It's actually come out of the Middle East. A Palestinian Jew is what Jesus was. And yes, the message made it quickly around the Mediterranean to Europe, but it made its way all around the world. And so there are far more Christians today in South America, in Africa, in China, than there is in Australia or Europe. In heaven, there will be people from every nation united around God and Jesus around God who, verse 10, and Jesus who, verse 10, have brought salvation, brought them back into relationship with him. The family of God who have been adopted by God, made up of all the nations of the earth, will go on into eternity in perfect unity forever. Has Jesus caused unity or division? One, Jesus caused the most profound unity. Two, has Jesus caused unity or division? Well, Jesus has ended the most terrible division. This is directly connected to what we've just been thinking about. See, how is it that people can be unified, united to God? Well, we've already said it's through Jesus, but there's something I haven't yet mentioned. And the thing that I haven't yet mentioned is fundamental, is core to the teachings of Jesus and the Bible, but it is deeply foreign and shocking to most people. And it's this. On our own, we are dreadfully divided from God. There's a terrible division between every human being and God. Now, in my experience, this is the one of the things that Jesus teaches that comes as an utter, utter shock to most people. You may be sitting there right now, quite, quite shaken. Have a look at this passage. Once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. This is talking to people who've become Christians. So it says, once in the past, you are alienated from God. According to Jesus, before coming to Jesus, this is the state of all humanity, alienated, estranged, divided from God. And in fact, enemies of God in our minds because of our evil behavior. That is, God is the creator and ruler, and yet we won't have him as our creator and ruler. In our hearts, in our minds, we want to be the ruler. 
and we want to live our way and make the rules. And so have made ourselves enemies of God, alienated from God, divided from him. Now, that's not the way most of us think, is it? Cut off from God, divided from God, enemies? No, no, You know, I think, sure, I may not have thought of God as much as I should have. I may not have prayed as much as I should have. I didn't get to church as much as I should have. I may have done those things that I knew were wrong. I knew I should have done this and I didn't do this. I knew I shouldn't have done that and I did that. And I, I should have helped others more and been more loving and kind. But I haven't killed anyone, you know. I haven't done anything really terrible. Surely I'm pretty okay with God and God is pretty okay with me. Now that's how I thought before I became a Christian. It took me quite a while to realize actually I was living my life totally independent of God. I just sort of pushed him out of the picture. And even though he was God and the ruler, I'd taken that rule for myself and lived however I wanted without concern for the one who had made me, who had given me life, who had given me everything I enjoyed, who had given me my relationships. He should have been the ruler, but I just acted as if I was the ruler and that he was actually nothing much to me at all. Imagine this. First thing to imagine is you're about my age. So (laughs) sit there. Whoa. Sit there. Imagine what that might be like. And then imagine you have a friend who has a son. So they're probably your age. A friend who has a son, and and this son can't seem to get enough money together to buy a car, but it'd be really helpful, really great for them to have a car. The dad can't help them out. You can help them out. And so in your generosity, you lend them a car, a pretty nice car, and it's an indefinite loan. You say, mate, it's an indefinite loan. Take it as long as you need it, and I'll pay for everything. You know, I'll I'll pay for the servicing, I'll pay for the rego, I'll pay for the insurance stuff, I'll even pay for um, any repairs, I'll pay for the petrol. Here's a petrol card, go for it. And you think, wow, they're so generous. Imagine if someone did that for you. Free use of a car indefinitely. The young bloke takes the car, never says thanks. And then the young bloke uses the car however he wants. the wear and tear on the car, he, he drives it hard because he knows you're going to pick up the bill. He leaves rubbish all over it, food all over it. Sitting on the back seat, there are like Nord KFC you know, bits of chicken with the grease seeping into the seats. He never washes the car, never vacuums it, never cleans it, never looks after it. There's, there's da- dents, there's scrapes, there's all sorts of dings over the car because he knows you're the one who's going to look after it. One day you ring him. You can't get to a doctor's appointment. Your car is, is off the road. And so you need him to pick you up. Yeah, and you ask him, oh, can you come and get me, take me to the appointment? And he says, oh, sorry, mate, can't. Surf's really good. Need to go. And he's gone. Another time you need to get to another appointment, you ring him, no response. You text him, never text back. And that's how it goes from there. Never talks to you, never gives you thanks. Just lives as if you didn't really exist. Now, isn't that the way we've treated God? And yet, far, far, far worse. We've received from God our life and this beautiful world and the things we enjoy and the relationships we have and all that we have, and yet we treat it all as if it's ours and we own it and he has no place in it. We use and abuse our lives and the things we have however we want, even though he's actually the owner and has only lent it to us. And the only reason we have it is through his generosity. And when we know he wants something from us, we make excuses and then just go on and do our own thing instead. But most often we just ignore him and treat him as if he doesn't exist. Now this is the creator of the universe. 
the one who sees all things, the one who is the generous giver of everything we have. In our minds, we're enemies because of our evil behavior and so alienated, divided from God, the most terrible division there is, cut off from God. And if it continues unchecked, it will lead to an eternity divided, cut off from God and all goodness that's in him. But Jesus came to end this most terrible division. Verse 22. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus came to reconcile us back to God to end the alienation and estrangement and to fix the relationship, to draw us again into God's family so we can know him. There was this great chasm like the Grand Canyon that separated us from God. No way across, uncrossable for us. And yet Jesus, God the Son, came to earth to throw a bridge across that great chasm. And the bridge was in the shape of a cross. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. He came to die to take the punishment you and I deserve for our rejection of God, ignoring God, our thanklessness, our doing things our way instead of God's way. All that punishment we deserve, Jesus came and died in our place. Because God is good and just and must punish But God in his love sends his son to take the rap for us so that we can be holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And so we can be reconciled back to God, the division ended. We can cross the cross-shaped bridge that has been thrown up for, for us by Jesus. See, Jesus reconciles us back to God, which is how we can be adopted into the family and become children of God and brothers and sisters. Has Jesus caused unity or division? One, Jesus caused the most profound unity. Two, Jesus ended the most terrible division. But third and finally, Jesus caused a necessary division. Now before we put these next words on the screen, I'll just give you a warning. These words are the words of Jesus, and I think many, many people find them deeply, or if they knew about them, would find them deeply, deeply shocking. Here they are. Jesus said, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there'll be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Just take that very first statement. It, It answers our question perfectly, doesn't it? Has Jesus come to bring unity or division? Well, Jesus says, don't think I've come to bring peace on the earth. No, I tell you, I've come to bring division you think how can you say that Jesus we saw last week that you've actually come to bring peace even though you say "I, I haven't come to bring peace we've already seen today that Jesus has come to bring unity but here he says no no I've come to bring division so in what sense has Jesus come to bring division the division that Jesus has come to bring occurs around how people respond to him The person of Jesus divides the whole of humanity in that every person, every human being will have to decide, what will I do with Jesus? Now this makes no sense if you think that Jesus is just a really good bloke, uh, a spiritual guru, uh, uh, an enlightened human, a social activist. 
But if you understand who Jesus claims to be and who he actually is, this makes perfect sense. See, Jesus very, very, very clearly claims that he is the Lord of the world, the ruler of the universe, the master of every human life, that he is actually God. God the Son come amongst us as a man. And Jesus claims that what you do with him is what you do with God. How you treat him is how you treat God. Now, if you see Jesus like that, the division that he causes makes perfect sense because God has come to his world. What will you do with him? You'll either choose to accept him and his rule over you and be reconciled back to him, or you will choose again to turn your back to God and reject his rule and reject the reconciliation he offers. Jesus brings division because God has come amongst us and so people will choose either to be for him or against him. No middle ground, no sitting on the fence. People will choose either to come back and unite with God or to remain divided against God. No other path. With him, against him. Two groups. A clear division down the centre of all humanity caused by God coming amongst us. Like a laser. Cutting through all of humanity. Dividing all of humanity in two. Those who unite under the rule of Jesus or divide from Jesus and reject his rule. A laser that cuts through every nation of the earth, that cuts through every cultural grouping, that cuts through every community group and sporting group and club, that slices through the very closest of human relationships, that is, families. From now on, there'll be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three, and so on. Now, Graham, don't say anything negative about families. You're on very, very thin ice now. Families are sacrosanct in our society. Don't say anything that threatens the number one priority of family. But Jesus does. See, within families, there will be those who choose to follow Jesus as their Lord and be reconciled back to God, and there will be those who refuse There'll be those who receive his forgiveness and and the division is ended and those who reject his forgiveness and rule and so the division remains. Now, for, for some of you, this holds pain. But this is the very nature of things. We are responsible human beings. We make real choices and are held accountable for those choices. And so every one of us as human, as a human, being responsible for our choices, must work out, what will I do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Because what we do with him determines what we do with God. And no person is exempt from the decision. Now, when it talks about division in families, it's, it's not talking about Christians being an utter pain in the neck in their families. Jesus doesn't want that. Don't do that. It's not talking about Christians intentionally breaking their families apart. No, that's a terrible thing. It's not talking about Christians cutting themselves off from other members of their family. No, no. It's not talking about Christians being self-righteous and looking down their noses and talking down to their families. They shouldn't. It's talking about where does your primary allegiance lie? Is your primary allegiance with Jesus as Lord or is your primary allegiance with me and mine? See, you can still as a Christian have loyalty and love for your family, but your primary loyalty and love shifts to be for Jesus. And as families are confronted with the person of Jesus, sometimes the whole family bows the knee to Jesus and is united to him together. But sometimes it's only some members of the family who bow the knee to Jesus and others refuse. And so you get a division within the family, which may or may not cause friction. But this is huge, isn't it? 
Jesus reaches into the very center of our homes, into the very center of our lives, into the very center of our hearts and says, what will you do with me? Will you have me as your Lord or will you reject me as your Lord? Now people might think, this is terrible. This is terrible that Jesus came to divide people. Unity is good, division is terrible. But let me suggest this to you. Unity in the right things is very good. And division, for no good reason, is terrible. But unity in certain things is very, very bad. And division over certain things is very, very good. So did you catch that? While unity, togetherness, oneness, connection, belonging is very good, I reckon there are things that to be united in those things or to be united with those people is actually very, very bad. So think this. To have unity with the members of a criminal bikey gang. A bikey gang that is involved in human trafficking, exploitation of women, drug dealing, organised crime. Very, very bad. It, it might be that there is a real unity amongst them. Brotherhood, togetherness, connection, oneness, a belonging that they've never experienced anywhere else. But be to connected with this group, with these terrible things, that's not a good unity. That's to unite with evil. And while to divide for no good reason is terrible, division over certain things is very, very good. In Germany, during the reign of Hitler, and it's in the news again, isn't it, with our, with our Premier and his dress-ups? In the reign of Hitler, very, very few people saw Hitler and saw the Nazi regime for what it was, Christians included. But one bloke who did see it from the very beginning, see Hitler for who he was, was a guy, a Christian, German Christian pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He consistently, from start to finish, opposed Hitler and opposed the Nazi party. Hitler's nationalism, Hitler's dictatorial powers, Hitler's neutering of the church, his mistreatment, eventual extermination of the Jews, the gypsies, the disabled. Bonhoeffer stood against Hitler and the Nazi regime and increasingly that meant he stood alone against a largely united Germany under Hitler's rule. See, Bonhoeffer was divisive. He wouldn't unite. He stood apart. He spoke against Hitler and his regime and increasingly found himself increasingly isolated and eventually imprisoned in a concentration camp because he was a traitor and eventually executed because he just would not unite with everyone else but continued to divide. Now you could say, Bonhoeffer, you are such a divisive man. You are such a divisive man. Why couldn't you just get on board with everyone else and unite under the Third Reich of Hitler? Or you could see for what it actually was. This man was a hero. This man risked everything to stand against what was evil, a wicked regime that murdered six million Jews and caused World War II, amongst other things. He divided and his division was a good division, a right division. Unity is a very good thing, but only if you're united with what is true and what is good. And division can also be a very good thing if it is dividing against what is untrue and evil. Well, Jesus is the God of perfect goodness and truth come amongst us. And so to unite to him is to unite to utter truth and goodness. And to divide from a world that largely opposes or ignores him is good and right. Jesus came to bring a necessary division, a division around how you will treat God come amongst us. And so when Jesus walked the earth, he said some things that totally cut across the grain of society back then and that continue to cut across the grain of society today. 
radical, countercultural things, things that, that clash, that rub, that clang to our world's way of thinking. Some of his words people find so divisive and so offensive. The religious leaders of his day were outraged at some of the things he said. Some of the things they liked, but others they hated. So much so that they eventually had him executed. Same today. Some of the things that Jesus says people love. But many of the things that Jesus says in the Bible and often through Christians, they're outraged by. They seem so divisive. But it's because Jesus comes not as a unity pretender, but as the unity bringer. Not one that comes along and pretends, no, it's all okay, there's unity, and, but one who actually comes and, and says it like it is, no, 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 we are disunified from God, disunified from each other, reveals the disunity in order to bring real and lasting unity. Uh, when I was seven, my family built a pool, a nice in-ground pool. Now, that's a very, very, very long time ago now. And it's in pretty good nick for all those years. But now, when you look at the pool... There's cracks on the surface of the pool. There's spots where it's cracked, it's eroded away, some of the Rio wires exposed, it's, it's um, rusting into the pool, and it's leaking. See, the unity of the pool surface has been compromised. There's cracks in it. There's divisions in it. So what should my family do? Well, I know what we should do. You know, you drain it down past the level of the holes, get out a spray can and, and, and match up the colour perfectly and just spray paint over it so that you can't see it anymore. Unity restored. Is the unity of the pool surface really restored? No, you've just spray-painted over it, pretended that there's unity. Or you could empty the pool, cut it right back, grind in, grind in, grind in, cut out all the, 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 the cancer there and, and treat it, put it... I don't know how you do these things. There's builders amongst us. <laughs> Stick in concrete and then resurface the whole thing. It's sounding expensive at this stage, isn't it? But... Real unity, face the disunity, come and bring, restore unity to the surface of the pool. No leaks, no divisions, true unity. What did Jesus come to do? Spray paint job? Just smooth over, no, it's all okay, it's all okay, you're all okay with God, you're all okay with each other, it's all... No, 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 he comes to the earth and he un unearths the disunity in order to actually fix it and bring real unity once more. And the experience of dealing with someone who is a unity pretender, you know, who doesn't rock the boat, doesn't cause it to stir, doesn't make any divisions, just spray paints over the surface of the top, is pleasant. No conflict. No division. But the experience of dealing with Jesus, the unity bringer, the one who exposes the real disunity that's actually there before fixing it, well, he rocks the boat. He causes conflict and tensions. He says things that stir, that clash with society both back then and today. But this is necessary because the things that Jesus says are good and true. Because they're the words of the living God to us. And he himself is God come amongst us to bring us back to God, to reconcile us so we're children of God, family of believers. Will we receive him? Will we let him rule our lives? Did Jesus come to bring unity or division? Well, Jesus came to bring profound unity, to unite people back to God and each other as family, people of every background, of every nation, to unite us and to unite us for all eternity. And then our unity would be perfect. And he did it by ending the most terrible division, dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve so that we can be reconciled back to God, no longer estranged, no longer divided. But in doing so, Jesus brought a necessary division. God 
The son has come amongst us as a man and how we treat him is how we treat God. Some will receive him as their Lord and receive the reconciliation, but others won't let God rule them, continue to not let God rule them and won't be reconciled back to God. And so Jesus rightly divides all of humanity around himself. In a moment, I'm going to pray. But before I pray and as the band comes up, we we have a short moment to just think privately. And I'd just love you to think about this. Take a moment to just think, how am I responding to Jesus? And how would I like to respond to Jesus? Just take a moment to think about that and then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the profound unity that you have brought about through your son Jesus, uh, that we can have you as our father and we can have every Christian as our brother or sister and that we can have in heaven as our home for all eternity with you. Uh, We thank you so much that you have ended division between us, reconciling us back to you by dying in our place and taking the punishment we deserve. And please, Lord, we ask uh, that we'd be able to see Jesus clearly for who he is and respond to him rightly receiving him as our Lord and Saviour. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.